I shouldn't have started drinking at noon. Stopping at six so I could be ready to deal with whatever this asshole killer might do was perhaps not the best choice. I admit that. But Price refusing to allow me inside the Osceola when this all goes down is unacceptable. I might as well get a ride back to Detroit then. Why am I even here? Don't be like that, Morneau. Carlo is getting wired up by one of Michigan State Police's finest. Price stood next to the window. He'd requested we pull the shade and enter curtains on. That request came in by phone at around 8 a.m. It woke me up, and when my eyes opened, I watched her take the call. Carla probably hadn't slept at all. They had it all planned out over the course of the day. Didn't want anything happening in quick succession that could alert our guy that he was being surveilled. Hours later, a plain-clothed detective who would have, by all accounts of any bystander, appeared to be stopping in for a beer, waited until the place was empty to come upstairs and get her wired up. He left the vest for us to put on her later. They wanted Carla to have a little time wearing the wire to get comfortable with it. The detective specialist left when he got an alert that the bar was clear for him to exit, leaving the appearance that he'd never been upstairs. Detective Morneau, I'm sorry if I was unclear when we spoke in my office. There was never a time when I'd have considered letting you in the building while this operation is taking place. You'd handle this the same way if you were running things. I need all my team's attention directed at keeping Mrs. Danning safe. I don't need the possible distraction of someone who is emotionally involved, whose vision isn't good enough to move around in the dark, and who has already had more to drink today than I've had in a year. There's no point in arguing, because it isn't up for discussion. I'll allow you to ride along with the unmarked unit that will be stationed outside the hotel. You will have an audio feed. However, I will instruct the officer to shoot you in the leg if you even look like you want to exit the observation vehicle during this operation. Wait, don't do that. You'd actually have someone shoot him? Probably not, but I'm trying to make myself clear. Are we clear? As clear as a Waterford decanter, sir. I took a swig from a nearby bottle and garnered the disapproving glare of everyone in the room. No one wanted the drunk fucking up their plan. Price got a text alert. If he planned on getting out while their subject was buying stamps at the post office a few doors down, now was the time. He promised to call within the hour, and then he was gone, leaving Carla and I to wait it out. gonna be fine, Mordo. She sat down on the bed next to me and cupped a hand where a nice woman generally doesn't do much cupping, at least while wearing a listening device. You're wired up, Carla. I forgot. I see that. Guess you're feeling okay in it. Yeah, it's taped pretty good. It doesn't feel weird when I move or anything. I was lying with my hands behind my head. Wishing I could take a nap. The pounding in my head wouldn't quit. Scared? Yeah, but not that I'll die. I'm scared that I'll die and you'll be left alone here. I don't think you would do so well on your own. 
When was the last time you ate a goddamn piece of fruit, Morno? I'd die before I told her she was right. And I'm not talking about the fruit. Good thing she already knew because her phone started ringing. And that meant showtime. I got her vested up and then she pulled on baggy jeans and a thick sweater, topping it all off with her jacket. She got a text from someone on the surveillance team that they were getting muffled sound after she dressed. They made a couple suggestions about how I could retape the wire, and we got things working in proper order with clear audio in a few minutes. Then she popped in the small, flesh-colored earpiece so they could communicate with her. Okay, I just put in the earpiece. Can somebody talk to me so I know it works? Carla cocked her head to the side for a couple seconds. She nodded. All right, I can hear you. Once they gave her the final call, Carla walked downstairs and out the front door. They gave her a big mag light to carry, so it would be obvious to the perp what she was supposed to be doing, which was going back to the Osceola to look around. The flashlight could be used as a weapon, too, but I wasn't crazy about her chances against a gun. I walked downstairs and directly to the back exit, waiting for the all-clear in the form of a text to my phone, which signaled that I could open the door. The text came, and he was already there, pulled up close in a battle gray beater. Didn't look like a cop. Looked like a regular guy who just got off work. As I approached the car, he was busy scanning ahead of him and watching his mirrors. He'd get in the back and lay down. I did as ordered finding the position slightly awkward for someone over six feet tall. With my head right up against the rear passenger door, I had my right knee bent, my foot resting on the floor. My left leg was bent at the knee and pressed up against the driver's side rear door. My right calf hurt for some reason. Probably something I'd bumped into somehow. I only realized this morning that it had been hurting for some time, though for how long, I couldn't be sure. Given the blackouts in my timeline, hard to say during which of those the pain started. We'll be stationed out back. I've got some oil and stuff in the trunk. When I park, I'll get out, pop the hood, and do my thing. I've got a Bluetooth earbud so I can hear everything. Here's one for you. He reached back and popped it into my palm. I put it in my ear and instantly heard Carla breathing. I'll see you when I get back. Sounded like she was talking on the phone. To me. So I assumed they instructed her to stroll and pretend we were having a conversation. That one's familiar. Carla and I had done it before. The night she got shot in the shoulder by Sandoval's thug. My penchant for the drink, being a viable addition to the storyline that was employed by the state police, because they probably told her to mention it on this call. Well, that didn't sit right with me. Neither was the half pint of Johnny Walker currently sloshing around in my stomach. All right, we're here. I won't be talking to you anymore. My pretend mechanic leaned over like he was grabbing something from the back seat. Price gave you the deal. Keep your ass right there. 
My kid's birthday is today and I'm missing his party to do this. So if you screw it up, I'll take it personally. Here, put this one in the other ear. You can hear them talking to her. He dropped another flesh-colored earpiece into my palm and I put it into my other ear. Once he was outside the car, he popped the trunk, pulled something heavy out. I eventually realized it was a cooler and set it on the back of the car when he closed the trunk. I heard the ice as he pulled out what appeared to be a can. Then I heard the metallic pop of the can tab. Just an average Joe, hanging out after work, about to check the oil in his car. No more talking to us, Carla. A disembodied male voice instructed quietly over the audio feed. It was disconcerting to hear different voices in each ear. I was glad Carla only had to deal with one. Subject just exited the back door of the seven-slot grill with a cup of coffee. He's headed east on the back sidewalk. He's on the corner, about to cross Chestnut. He's almost there. Hold your positions, Unit 3. He's about to pass on your right. I detected movement above me from my prone position. When I looked up, I could see my mechanic walking past me to the front of the car. I heard the hood pop, and the car darkened with the shadow it cast. It was the gloaming hour. At time, just after sunset. The twilight before the dark. He's going around back, just past the dumpster. He's keeping close to the building. They had to have someone else back here, besides us, which was comforting since I figured they had an equal number out front, in addition to the men inside. He's gaining entry by the delivery sign, like last time. Okay, he's in. Unit 5, slowly pull around to cover that exit. My mechanic jumped into the driver's seat. You can get up now. I could hear Carla breathing heavily as I sat up with a jolt and stared helplessly at the back of the building. Carla, he's inside at the back of the building. Stay right there by the desk. Don't move. Hit your light when I say now, like we discussed. Don't move. He's coming down that back hall. Checking rooms as he goes. Steady, Carla. He's not holding a weapon yet. He's almost at the green room. Get ready, Carla. Now. Well, looky here. You've just proven that every village has his idiot. Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's not much for subtlety. Finally we meet. Hensel, you're a walking cliche, did you know that? I had hoped that when we eventually met, it would be a little less as the world turns. So what do you want? You're trespassing. Why are you shaking? Because I haven't eaten since breakfast. I've got low blood sugar. Next question. You ever heard the one about how curiosity killed the cat? Curiosity only kills the cat if curiosity's a fucking killer. Are you a killer, Fred? You should have kept your nose out of other people's business. And you should have done a better job of killing someone and not looking like the prime suspect. You're as shitty a killer as you were a cop, Fred. I hear most of your cop buddies didn't even like you. Really, Fred? You 
plan on shooting me right here, a couple blocks from the sheriff's department? I can probably scream your name loud enough for them to hear me. No one's going to hear you scream. You aren't as tough as you want people to think. And you're not as bright as you think. If I figured it out, I'm sure the cops have by now. By now? The cops around here are idiots. They're yokels. Just out of curiosity, Fred, how do you spell there in that sentence? Because I get the feeling proper grammar isn't exactly in your wheelhouse. Come around here. We're going to take a walk. Go fuck yourself, Fred. I'm not going anywhere with you. You stink of persecution syndrome. I'll shove this piece down your throat, you cunt. <laughs> Suddenly, Hansel's voice was louder than it should be in my ear. He was right on top of her. Peace. Did you say peace? What are you going for, Tony Soprano? What happened, Fred? Was it that you couldn't perform that day when you tried to rape Jill Reynolds? Did your shriveled little pecker take an unscheduled siesta? Where the fuck are they? There's a guy behind the desk by her legs and a sharpshooter trained on the target from the balcony. She wouldn't stop. Carla's obituary will likely read, but I'm not done talking yet. And this guy liked it. He didn't want her to stop. He was getting off on it. Our only hope was that she'd ride his ass long enough that he missed a beat. And even then, Carla would have to recognize that moment through the red haze of her anger. I wasn't convinced she'd be able to see it. You know what I'm going to do to you? Hmm. Well, let me guess. She liked this a little too much, and that scared the hell out of me. First, you're going to try to stick your little dick inside me. And when you can't get it up, you'll blame me for that. And then you'll get frustrated and you'll choke me until my eye sockets bulge. Because you get off on that demented shit, Fred. And then finally... You'll throw a goddamn temper tantrum because life has fucked you over in so many ways and it's all everyone else's fault, right, Fred? So you'll grab something heavy and then you're going to bash my fucking skull in until my eye sockets are pulp. Wait, what am I forgetting, Fred? Oh, yeah. And then you're going to run like a little punk-ass bitch. Carla. Run, Forrest, run. That bird she sold me the day before. I stepped on its fucking head when I got I jumped out of the car. So did my surveillance guy. Two more guys with rifles ran across the parking lot ahead of us. Everyone heading around the side of the building to the entrance. They said when they came around the corner, he was on top of her. They said Hensel dropped right where he stood in front of the desk. They said his gun fell to the floor by his side. The cop that took him out got him from the second floor balcony in one clean shot. The cop that took Hensel's bullet ended up on top of Carla. And when they came around the corner, she was cradling his head against her chest and screaming. They said that when they came around the corner, they thought both of them were hit. They said that there was only a second between the shot that hit the cop and the shot that took down Hensel. But Hensel's 
never reached its target. The cops stood up and took it for him. They said his gun got caught on the lip of the desk as he raised it to take the shot. They said he died doing what he loved, serving his community. They drove through town slowly, city, county, and state cruisers together, lights on, accompanying the funeral procession. They said they needed Carla's statement on the record before we could leave town. So she gave it the day of the funeral in an office at the sheriff's department where the prosecutor said we could meet. They said I could sit in and listen. So I watched her recount what she saw before I made it around the corner and tried to see past the men in front of me, all moving with purpose and barking out orders. Carla and I became others when his gun got caught on the lip of that desk and he stood just in time to take the bullet aimed at her head. In the way a small town constricts around its own out of protection, we suddenly became others to be wary of. Everyone was still kind, still helpful, but their every free ounce of energy was directed at seeing to the human fallout from what happened at the Osceola that day. A murderer died, but would never see a courtroom. So the death of Jill Reynolds would likely remain a question in the hearts of most without the firm conclusion of a trial. The fatal insult was the 34-year-old state trooper who'd served two tours in the military as well as protecting and serving his community for seven years. He left behind a wife and infant son who'd just celebrated his first Christmas. You can't walk into a place, open it up, core out its viscera, and then walk away, expecting people to be happy about the hollow space. We needed to go. They needed us to go. And the debriefing interview was our ticket out of town. So she sat up there and answered questions for about an hour, which mostly consisted of them trying to make sure the story of the shooter from the second floor fit her story. So there wouldn't be any surprises down the line. We had said our goodbyes to Lola earlier. None of us could bear dragging things out. None of it could be talked about or ruminated over or sorted out in any way that would feel complete to anyone. It was tragedy on top of tragedy. And even though no one would dare say it out loud, it was all attributed to the detective and his assistant who'd come into town and were leaving it worse for their presence. I need a vacation, Morneau. We'd been on the road for about an hour. It was the first thing she said, other than asking me to pull up a map on my phone so my housefrau could read driving directions. Her request shocked me. Since I'd known her, which admittedly wasn't that long, she'd never been the type I'd peg for a bout of scheduled relaxation. But I couldn't argue that a couple naps in a row would suit my general state of physical disrepair. My leg hurt, my chest hurt. I couldn't shake this bug. Okay, where? New Orleans. What's in New Orleans, Carla? 
She didn't need to tell me. I felt it in the simultaneous sunrise and sunset that made up the purples of passion, aubergine and lavender, dissolving into the curls of ruby-red determination, floating into copper bravery, and exploding into dependable, loyal brown to create the mustard-colored nausea of dread. Jolene. The Dex Morneau Series by Jenny Decker. Narrated by Greg Kreitz and Jenny Decker. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>